Before we start, a quick warning. This episode contains some swearing. I remember thinking two things when he punched me, one of which was, oh man, I'm going to be really late for work. But the other thing was, what did he mean about the United Nations? For most New Zealanders, political violence has always been something that happens in another country. They want normal screams then. They were right panicking. And then like when we looked down the road, there was a woman laid on the floor. Now, as we embark upon an election campaign, it's a clear and present danger in Aotearoa. I don't think I have a day here where I don't have threats and attacks. You give up reporting them. I, I, I live with security cameras on my house, nearly every angle you can come in. I think it is a very real threat. Miss and disinformation is rampant across online spaces, with the 2023 election campaign coming into view. It's even seeped into mainstream media like RNZ. It frequently fans racism, sexism, anti-Semitism. The list goes on. It ferments hatred and division. Experts, community leaders, and even people who've been active players in conspiracy theory networks are really worried about where it's taking us. There are the physical threats and violent acts, and then there is the corrosive impact on our democracy. Does anyone know what they're voting for anymore? If I had continued to believe what I was invited to believe, it was going to become a whole way of life of protests, of fear, of spreading misinformation. Who can you even trust if you can't rely on your own close family members? Whether it be in a family event or, or elsewhere, he's saying horrible things. It's uncomfortable. We want no part of that. We don't want any part of that at all, but you're father to these kids, right? So you're inevitably tied to us as a family. I'm Susie Ferguson, and this is Undercurrent, an RNZ documentary series on disinformation. Episode 3, Natural Born Skeptics. When we hear about misinformation, there's typically a certain structure to it. It goes something like this. The defenders of democracy and science malign the people responsible for the problem. Then there'll be a clip of the bad guys spouting their dangerous misinformation. And that's usually about it. But in these next two episodes, you're going to hear something different. People who were actively involved with conspiracy theory networks are going to explain how they got there what it was like, and how they think about it all now. I've also spent time with people who are close to some of the most active and aggressive players in New Zealand's misinformation communities. You'll meet three of them in the next episode. Their stories are harrowing. Right now, you're about to hear from two people about their time in the networks of disinformation. Who I was was Fiona, the anti-vaccine, bread-making, sprout-growing mother. <laughs> the woman describing herself is still called Fiona, and she lives in a rural part of Aotearoa, though I can't say where. And we're not using her surname to help protect her identity. She says she leaned towards an alternative lifestyle. 
I always have been sort of anti-establishment um, and I think it just kind of got amplified as I didn't, you know, I just didn't want to be mainstream, didn't want to be normal. And so <laughs> I rebelled against anything that had any sort of structure or governance to it. And I think that's, you know, my personality definitely <laughs> lent me to um, wanting to explore what wasn't seen as mainstream. Vaccine hesitancy is as old as immunisation itself. There's nothing new about that. It dates back hundreds of years. A bit like how the idea of conspiracy theory can be traced over millennia. Fiona had her first child in the late 90s when that sentiment was reignited, brought back front and centre with the furore around former doctor Andrew Wakefield's incorrect and unethical conclusions on the MMR jab. For the record, those have been entirely debunked. Fiona says she joined some anti-vax Facebook groups and this was our gateway. There had little um, kind of like tangents that they'd go on um, about QAnon, what now has become like the anti-trans agenda and one of the group mentors was very Christian and was quite fundamentalist in their beliefs so that was in there too. And just, yeah, exposed to sort of the side shoots of what I you know now see as conspiracies. But at the time, it was just kind of like more information. And if you were in that group and you were anti-vax, then you were more inclined to like um, follow those leads. It led her to some of the most far-fetched conspiracy theories in circulation. She says she dipped her toes in with some of them. You know, there was like a lot of stuff around QAnon and um, so I'd be like, oh, I'll watch that video or watch that, you know, documentary. And there'd be some points that I'd go, oh, that's really interesting. Mm. What were the points that you thought that kind of piqued your interest about QAnon? Things to do with like um, like Big Pharma having control um, about... Um, distrust in government agendas. It's all fear-based around, you know, losing your privileges. For Fiona, it wasn't just a case of being swallowed up by an algorithm. The anti-vax groups she was in gave her connection, helping her at a time she was isolated with small children. Her online and offline lives merged. If I had any health questions... You could, you know, you'd post them in the group. There was so much support. They had all the answers. You felt like someone had your back. Um, my kids got whooping cough during this time. And um, as you can imagine, that's quite scary. I think the whole progress from like the first one getting sick through to it being over was about eight weeks, which was just exhausting. And the only real-life people that helped and delivered food were part of that anti-vax group. And so you just feel more looked after by them. It made her grateful to the community. So I was super alone. And having the online group, you know, the only support was through the local anti-vaxxers. It was just a godsend because, you know, I was a wreck. (laughs) And so by this point, tell me how it's kind of, Is it filtering across other parts of your life? Yeah, you know, around what we eat, 
Um, you know, we're very much about being organic and being as natural as possible. And then there's, you know, you hear things about, you know, big whatever they want to call it. <laughs> it's going to uh, make um, that you can't buy food at your farmer's market anymore. So you have to put a big garden in that, you know, cashless societies and things like that. You just, which makes you more fearful and more insular and that, you know, then you have to spend your days making sour cream and homemade bread and gardening and <laughs> doing, you know, it becomes a lifestyle, which, you know, I absolutely admire people who homestead, but it takes up your whole life trying to live like that. What's it like trying to live up to that sort of in court's ideal? Well, you feel pretty bloody good about yourself when everything's going smoothly. You look at your kombucha scoby and going, whoa, aren't I awesome? I've got my all my little ferment pets um, and I'm keeping them all alive. And, you know, look at my big bowl of beautiful tomatoes and you feel really good about yourself. And it is. I don't want to um, put anyone down because, you know, I still love gardening. And if I had the space in my life, I'd love to make bread all the time. But... I can't fit it in and I've had to let that go. But there is definitely this arrogance where you feel better than others because you are making the homemade bread. You are growing your sprouts. You're not relying on the supermarkets. You know, you've got your little organic co-op that you go in with your, you know, your friends to buy bulk flour and things. So you feel really, you know, that you're achieving something and that you're part of something bigger and that you know you're being like the good people. Fiona's inclination to doubt so-called mainstream ideas is a common starting point for people swept up in conspiracy theory networks. Your destination is on the left. I'm meeting another person who went on a similar journey. I think it's probably partially my upbringing to start out with. my family where I grew up, and also just maybe not having a good trust in government. We'll call her Martha, but that isn't her real name. She lives in a remote part of New Zealand. I can't say where. An actor has revoiced what she told me while we sat in her living room in order to help protect her identity. Like not believing that man landed on the moon? Those are beliefs within my family. So my mum's mother didn't believe that we landed on the moon. She believed that was just a ploy by the US government to try to convince Russia that they've got ahead in the space race. And that's just one of them. I've grown up around... um, Loving, intelligent people who didn't believe the status quo or what was being portrayed in the media. Martha grew up steeped in conspiracy theories and has family members still in the community. She says she started spiralling when the pandemic hit. And it felt like there was a kind of call within my blood to maybe stand up and question and just kind of not trust in a way what was being asked of us. And... I would say that might be a culture thing, like a family culture. It could also have to do with... um, I notice that people who have experienced a lot of trauma are also less trusting. And what I noticed was 
there was a move to actually take away some of our basic human rights, like to care for our own deceased loved ones. And that was done for reasons of health and safety. I could understand why that was done. But at the same time, it was really scary because legislation was having to be changed to bring that into effect. So I felt scared. I didn't really know how scared I should be. I had a lot of people saying to me, look, it's nothing more than a cold, it's nothing, not a big deal. She says she was frightened by some of what she saw online from people she trusted, including family and friends. And he put up a Facebook post of him doing a whole lot of exercises like burpees and, and forward rolls and jiu-jitsu stuff. And he was doing it over and over again for half an hour. And he was making all these statements like... If you come to my house, I'm going to defend my property. And it was just so scary because up until that point, I've kind of considered him to be really reasonable. But yeah, and if he was that scared, I felt that I should be very scared. And because he was being quite cryptic... Her paranoia was heightened. The video was very frightening. It felt like almost a declaration of war against somebody... And then I didn't even feel safe to ask him about it online because it felt like someone could be watching. Um, I didn't even want to maybe align with him at that time. I'd want him to be on my side just because he's a big, strong guy if the world was ending. I didn't know why someone who had been normal up to that point was behaving in what seemed like a really scary, irrational way. And this sounds paranoid in itself, but I saw my social media slow down. I saw some really strange things happening online. So news story not loading and buffering for ages. And so I started to get a bit paranoid and think, hmm, is our government actually watching our social media? How paranoid and how frightened did you feel? Very much so. I really shut down into, like, a nervous state where the world became unsafe. And even though I didn't really want to, I found that I did a lot of doom-scrolling going online, and I felt really lonely. I felt really isolated, and I didn't even feel like I could talk to my husband about how paranoid I was feeling. Martha says she started getting sucked in. People would send me kind of videos done by people I didn't know, and I'd start to watch it. And then i think, oh, this, you know is basically on sources I can't confirm or someone who's like an expert but maybe not even an expert in that topic. So a lot of false experts out there. And I think podcasts were a source of poor news for me. There were lots of ways these conversations were coming in like health and wellness. They were discussing the pandemic from their perspective as in Governments trying to stop people using remedies that they thought would work, even if they were not safe remedies. If you believe one part of this is true, like that the government is trying to control rather than keep us safe, then that just keeps feeding into itself because there's more and more viewpoints. And the hole just sort of keeps getting dug deeper and deeper and deeper. And yeah, it got weird and scary. Basically, I could imagine all worst-case scenarios happening. And I don't know if it's because I read 1984 by George Orwell in high school or if, you know, it's just my wonderful creative imagination. 
But yeah, I started being really fearful in lots of different directions. Martha has since retreated from those online communities. Why did she leave? Martha says her partner was a major influence. Yeah, he was a lot more grounded and calm. He had this very measured, we'll have to wait and see sort of perspective, which I admire. She began to see things she didn't like. There was a lot of white supremacy around this. If I could say that shocking phrase, white supremacy. But there was this this real belief that I'm healthy, therefore why should I do anything, you know? You know, it's almost like the beautiful yoga people refuse to align with any of the health measures. After a while, I started to feel really angry because I felt like not only were they risking public health, but they also seemed to be very selfish and privileged. But to me, it seemed like there was a division between the wealthy, white, healthy people who are the beautiful people and and then the vulnerable elderly or Pacifica, Maori, you know, children, immune compromised. They just did not seem to care about anybody outside of their social group. If I'd continued to believe what I was invited to believe, it was going to become a whole way of life, of protests, of fear, of spreading misinformation. She'd trusted science and doctors before. Because I'm a cancer survivor. And I chose to have treatment at that time. And I had a lot of people saying the same sort of thing to me then, like, oh, no, don't have radiation, just use CBD and eat kale and have carrot juice, you know. But I chose to ignore them then as well. But retreating from people you've cared about is no simple matter, especially when they express their care and concern in such confronting ways. You know, mostly I didn't want to hurt anyone. That was my motivation. However, I had people tell me you're going to be dead in two years. I actually went and met with a lady who's a Facebook friend because she was really freaked out and really conspiratorial and upset. And I met with her and talked with her and told her that I had chosen to get vaccinated. And she just flat out told me, you're going to be dead in two years. And I couldn't believe that she would say that to my face. I'm still here, by the way, still alive, had my booster. She found there was no easy way to discuss it. The people who are down the rabbit hole, they feel like if you don't argue with them, that you're on their side. So then I noticed that I was in this position of not wanting to collude with them, but also not wanting to have a big debate with them. For family members that are in this position, I just kept having to use the broken record technique. We just have to agree to disagree. I understand this sounds really scary for you. That's not been my experience. It became really hard to navigate any social situation. For Fiona, she says there were a few things that made her question her stance. A lot of the talk was really misogynistic. And this is coming from, like, hippie woman who <laughs> um, were, you know, all natural. And the it was pretty vile. And so that was the main turning point for me. I was kind of like, yeah, it's not my thing. And so, you know, each tangent that would come up that I'd kind of test out and went, that's not for me, was just kind of another strike 
these um, very fundamentalist Christian-y based and white supremacy stuff and yeah, just the whole lot. So that was pre-COVID. I kind of started stepping away in my head, but I didn't actively step away until COVID had kicked in enough. I think because it was so emotive, it was like, look, everything we've been saying is coming true. There's this fake pandemic and they want to um, vaccinate all of us and Bill Gates has put microchips in and it just fed into all of the stuff that I didn't feel comfortable with. They just kind of layered everything up because there was too much other noise around it. It wasn't purely vaccination. They just cherry-picked the information. They have to build up all these other stories around it. And that's the, the story that I'm just not, you know, they're pretty nasty and they're pretty fear-filled. Fiona says she chose to get the COVID vaccine after considering the impact of colonisation on health outcomes for Māori, considering her tupuna and her whakapapa. Like Martha, she didn't keep her decision a secret. And she too had to find her own way out of it all. Because my circle of friends were more alternative people, more the hippies, the musicians, the artists, the majority of them didn't vax. Um, And I had a couple of friends in particular that they're just so staunchly anti-vax. But it's all the agenda that goes with it, because I'm like, I'm actually done arguing over this. Um, So I did a Facebook post and wrote what my process was and how I got to where I was with my decision. Half of the non-vaxxing people were like, oh, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. You know, it's not like they changed their mind and that wasn't the point of it either. Um, But then the other half were like, you know, one instantly private messaged me and had a go at me and like not even a hi, how's it going? And this woman was, you know, we're quite close. Um, and then in the end messaged me going, I just feel this dark negativity coming from you. Radi, radi, ra, go for yourself. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> there was some quite strong reactions. Fiona and Martha are strong and thoughtful women they aren't stupid and they're not malicious. They're just two people, each with their own particular backstories, who sought out human connections. It took them places they both now admit, well, they wish they'd never been. But the way they talk about Aotearoa's misinformation problem is more empathetic and insightful than you might imagine people from those groups could be. My overriding feelings around that whole time came down to whether you were an individual fighting for your rights or whether you were part of a community, um, like the greater community, not the anti-vax community. For me, you know, it kind of feels like I've come back to humanity, which sounds very, I don't know, (laughs) kind of um, over the top in a way. But at the same time, it's kind of, yeah, I feel like I've kind of got my humanity back for the bigger, greater, wider community than what I had because I don't feel like I'm us against them anymore. Martha's now shunning social media and lately she's been thinking about moving house too. Well, I don't think I'll ever look at some groups in the same way again. I mean, all groups are made up of people and human beings are fallible. 
but I think it would be a lot better to get off social media of all types. There was other platforms that came out, and I think they were just cesspools of misinformation. Telegram, I think, was one of them. After a while, I just had to start blocking or unfriending people on social media that I knew in real life. Because in order to stay in relationship with them, I couldn't keep seeing the narrative that they were pushing. So I just had to block them so that I would just be interacting with the human being in front of me on the street. Which, when we relate in that way, seems to be okay if it doesn't go political. But, yeah, this has been a huge division for our community. Next time on Undercurrent. I think that a a person who is espousing views and I find revolting requires someone to hear them because rejecting that person is just reaffirming their own perspective that the world is against them. The people who live with, love and sometimes fear the angriest voices in the disinformation community. Yes, it's not nice, it's antisocial, it hurts people, but why? What, what, what gets a person into the state of life where they want to hurt other people? That's the real question. Stories from those with a close-up view of the most ardent conspiracy theorists. That's next time on Undercurrent. Undercurrent is an RNZ series created, produced and presented by me, Susie Ferguson. It was written by Susie Ferguson and John Hartfelt. It features the voices of Vivian Bell, Richard Chapman, Francesca Ems and Carmel McGlone, produced with Duncan Smith. The studio engineers are William Saunders and Mark Chesterman. The executive editor is John Hartfelt. For more information and resources, visit our website rnz.co.nz slash undercurrent.